Hello, friends. Uh, hello, substackers, substication, substacat, substaconian, substackers. How are you? Uh, it's your boy Corey Ryan Forster out here in the park. A uh, little park rant, a little different edition. This is an Ask Corey Anything. I took to the chat on the Substack app and uh, said, hey, y'all asked me some questions, and y'all did. So if you're not, if you don't have the Substack app, I highly recommend it because, A, uh, it's an easy way to, I'm not paid to say this, I just want you to be convenienced at all, at all costs, uh, but it doesn't cost anything, it's free. It's a great way to view the Substack stuff, it's in an app, it's right there on your phone, you get little notifications, which you can also turn off, but there's also a chat feature, which is really cool um, because it's sort of like... I guess it's like my our own little private Twitter. Um, I can, you know, ask y'all stuff. I can start a thread, post pictures, you know, pose random questions. But also, y'all can start threads too. And some people have started to figure that out. You don't have to wait for me to say something. Uh, you can start a thread on there, which is cool. Yeah, whoo, I'm out of breath. Who y'all, I tell you what. <laughs> I'm feeling better, uh, but I've still got that just... I guess, dude, I've finally come to accept the fact that, like, <coughs> sorry, it might be a long COVID thing, like, from the first time I had COVID, because, like, I'm slowly realizing, like, dude, you, like, you kind of haven't felt 100% in, like, a year or two, and uh, I always chalk it up to, like, well, you're so busy, you're exhausted, and blah, 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 and all that, and I don't know, i uh, starting to wonder chicken or egg on that one, you know what I'm saying? And having the kid who is a Petri dish and having my wife be a second grade teacher and bringing home those germs, it don't help. But man, I'm telling you, y'all, I am struggling my ass off, but I'm trying really hard. And I guess I'm just going to have to get, I just, I'm going to have to accept it and be like, look, man, this is just how you're going to feel from now on. So you've got to operate, you've got to learn to operate uh, within this. But it's difficult. My brain has been, uh, I, I don't like how my brain is. It don't, <laughs> it don't hit at all. Uh, but yeah, get the app. But anyways, I got some questions on here that I would like to get to. Uh, our first one here is from Joe Gordon. Um, my, Joe Gordon says, might be simple, but where did you get the nickname Cho and what does it mean? That is, uh, Actually, not too simple, Joe, so it's actually a very stupid story. Some people may have heard this before, but I don't know if I've ever explained it on Substack. How I got the nickname Cho was, we. it was 2016, and me and the guys, Trey and Drew, we were on our like first ever run of shows with the Well Read Comedy Tour. Obviously not our first run of shows ever, Um because when we started the Well Read Comedy Tour, I think I'd already been doing stand-up for 12 years or something like that. But it was our first, like when that tour first popped off, we're on our first run. We'd been in Atlanta, we'd done Nashville, we'd done Louisville. And we were in Asheville, North Carolina. And I cannot remember, it was Asheville or, or Charlotte, I don't remember. It was, it was in North Carolina, that's all I know. And we were out in the streets. And we were drunk as piss because it was a day of the week and we had a show. And, like, not that we don't uh, still imbibe, you know, when we 
tour, we do, but we don't get blackout every night like we were. And we're in the streets of North Carolina having a blast. And, I mean, we're on top of the world. I really, I really wish that y'all could, like, for one day in your life feel like how we felt then. Which is like, I mean, all of us thought, like, dude, we're going to be movie stars tomorrow. <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, our careers have been great since then. But, like, in our brains, it was like, okay, we've arrived I mean, we can't. We can do no wrong. Like we're signing book deals left and right. We're signing TV deals left and right. Things are about to be crazy. And so Trey was talking about um, wanting to start a corporation, which it's funny because at the time that was like such a ha ha yeah, starting a corporation. That's a funny bit to say we'll do. Well, we've since done that. Me and Trey actually have, you know, well-read LLC where we're vice presidents or whatever. Uh, that's a real thing, but at the time it was just like we didn't even know that was a real thing to do. And Trey was like, "Yeah, I'm going to start uh, Well Read Incorporated. And I'm going to be the CEO, motherfucker." And like we were just drunk and like probably smoking cigars or some shit. And uh, Trey said he was going to be the CEO. So I then said, "I go, yeah. Well, as long as I get to be the chief hitting officer, ooh, ooh." And as soon as I said chief hitting officer, and this is how Trey tells it, he says he could, he looked at me in the face and he could see my brain working on the fact that, oh my God, those, those initials are CHO. And I said, I said, I'm going to be the chief hitting officer, the CHO. And he said, he saw my brain start working and all of a sudden I just went, <laughs> and he said that like, it was like, uh, it was like lightning had struck my body. Like it just, the cho came into me and I was just like shaking. And it was just like something that like I was possessed for a, for a moment. And so we just started laughing and we were like, what a perfect nickname. Cause it sounds so stupid, the cho. And so I became the cho, the chief hitting officer of well-read ink and the Cho ended up taking on a life of its own too, because now Cho is we we use that as a way to describe a type of person. So I guess someone, you know, similar to me, uh, someone who is you know sort of loud and bubbly and and uh, you know like a type of dude that's really good at drinking games and loves partying and blah 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 blah. That's a Cho. You know what I mean? Uh, the guys also basically, uh, whenever somebody's really stupid, they call them a cho, which is hurtful, obviously. But yeah, it's, it's taking on life its own, so that's how I got cho. Eric wants to know my go-to meal at Los Potros, Los Potros, whatever. Oh, Eric, I did not know you were from uh, the Chickamauga area. My go-to meal at Los Potros is, it depends. Uh, I, I really like the Pollo Loco, which I, I think that's what it's called. It's, uh, that's our Mexican restaurant in town, by the way, y'all. The Pollo Loco is chicken, rice, and beans covered in the runny white cheese sauce. I, you can't beat it. But they also have some version of that that also contains spinach and grilled pineapples, uh, which I just think is uh, in fuego, flames, as it were. Obviously, all the chips and salsa and cheese dip I can get. That's what I get. That's what I get. If it's my idea to go there and I'm in the mood for Mexican. Sometimes, though, I'm not in the mood for Mexican. I get made fun of. I get made fun of for this all the time. But, like, 
it, Mexican really hurts my belly. So if I'm not in the mood for it, but someone like, let's say hypothetically, our family's like, Hey, we're going to go to Los Potros or we're going to go to insert Mexican restaurant here. Well, if I'm not in the mood for it, I don't say, no, guys, I don't want to go there. Because if everybody wants to go there, I'm like, I'm not going to, just because I don't want it doesn't mean that everybody else can't get it. So in those situations when I'm not in the mood for Mexican, but everybody wants Mexican, I just get chicken fingers. <laughs> and it became this running joke of like, because the guys make fun of me too, because sometimes we'll be on the road and they'll want Mexican and I won't want it. Like, I'm like, no, my, I don't want my belly to be hurt before the show, but I'm not going to tell them, no, we don't get Mexican because I don't want Mexican. I just go and I get chicken fingers, right? And they made fun of me for it. Like, oh, Corey don't like Mexican. He always gets fucking chicken fingers. It's like, no, I love Mexican, but like, I'm not in the mood for Mexican, but I'm not the type of person who is going to be like, ooh, gross. No, I don't want that. Because like, if everybody wants something, I want everybody to be happy. And to me, I'm like, I can just get chicken fingers. Like, I'm never... Like, make fun of anybody that eats chicken fingers all you want, but chicken fingers are fucking bomb. They slap, especially if you eat them with a little bit of the cheese dip. So, like, in I thought I was just being a good person, being, you know, agreeable. Like, yeah, I'm not really in the mood for it, but doesn't mean y'all can't have it. And basically the only thing on the menu that isn't super Mexican-y is chicken fingers. So I'll get that, and I'll be happy. <laughs> um... But I'll tell you what, I do, man, chick, uh, chicken fingers with the Mexican cheese dip is a treat. <laughs> it is a treaty, treat, treat, and you can't get it nowhere else, you know? So that's what I do, Eric. All right, next, uh, Amber Hop says, you clearly enjoy being a dad, and Amber is a great mom. Do you want more kids? If yes, what is your ideal number? Understanding time, finances, and bodies don't always cooperate with our plans. Um, that's a great question. Um, do I want more kids? Here's what I want. I want, um, whatever Amber wants to come true. And I think that is going to mean having another kid. I think she wants one more, which means I want one more. Uh, if that makes sense. Cause how I was on, yeah, I do love being a dad. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't imagine my life, uh, without him and without being a dad. But funnily enough, like, I was neutral on having kids to begin with. Like, everybody asked me, they're like, do you want kids or do you not want kids? And I was always just like, here's where I'm at on it. Because it took me and Amber, you know, six years to get pregnant. I told everybody, I was like, look, if we have a kid, I will love it and I'll be the greatest dad ever. And I guarantee you I'll be happy. I said, but if we don't have a kid... I will be super happy that I now have freedom to do whatever I want. I was like very, whatever happens, I'll make the best out of it. And now, again, looking back, I'm like, I can't believe there was a time I wasn't like 100% in. Um, but I still feel that way with the second kid because, and I know, I know that this is not true. But like in my brain right now with with Bane, I'm like, I can't fathom loving something else this much and I know that I will if we have another kid but it's inconceivable to me dude like it is inconceivable to me that I could split my love you know what I mean but I know that I could and um and you know I think that uh very stereotypically I would love to have a pair you know I'd love to have a little girl that'd be cool to me but regardless I just want if we have another kid I just want it to be healthy I don't give a fuck 
it could be come out of lizards for all I give a shit. Uh, that's totally fine. But yeah, that's the plan. Amber doesn't want Bane to be an only child. She wants him to grow up with somebody in the house, which like I've told her before, it's like we're kind of in a different situation because Bane has so many cousins that live right down the street from him, like that are always at our house. So like he's not really going to grow up as an only child. Like it's not, it's not really going to be his experience. But again, I'm here to make sure that she's happy and that's it. And yeah, if I, we have another kid, I'll just be the double best dad in the world. Ooh, Aria has a great question. What is your writing process like for your stand-up bits? Um, it really varies. Uh, like, here's, I, I thank God for cell phones and this microphone that I have in my hand while I'm walking around in the park because that's now like the, the, that's the origin of how a bit starts is like, it always starts from just like a tiny little idea you know, like I'm at Walmart, I noticed I, I noticed someone say something to their wife that I find humorous, or I see a situation that I'm like, huh, you know, it, that's the thing that happens all the time, and it's and I'm curious as to why, and it's weird. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about it. Something I'm just giving you a shit example, but like then I would take that and I'll write it in my phone. You know, just like, hey, have you ever noticed uh, that when men are looking at shampoo bottles, they squint? You know, not that, but you get what I'm saying. And so that'll live in my phone uh, for a while. And then a couple times a month, I'll sit down and go through my phone notes and go, okay, let's see what I've written down, you know, the past month or whatever, and see which ones strike me as needing further exploration. You know, like, oh, yeah, what about that? Let me tell me talk about that and blah, 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 blah. Um, and what will usually happen is I'll write a couple tags for it. A tag is like a punchline. And so usually I have, like, I'll have, like, here's the premise, here's the setup, and here's the first punchline. And so that's A and C, right? And so the B, the middle part, which is, like, the story part or the meat of the joke, I'll be honest with you, I usually make that shit up as I go on stage the first couple times. Eventually it gets it gets written, but it gets written on stage. Like I don't write it out by hand and then go on stage and do it. I sort of like, I know kind of where I want to go and I just improv it. And I improv it until, and if it's going well, I keep going, I keep going because I know that I have that punchline that's my way of getting out of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's my parachute. It's like, okay, I'm improving, trying to find the bit, trying to find the story, make people laugh. But if you realize, like, okay, I think I'm out of shit, you got the punchline, hit them with the punchline, and then the bit's over. And so then the next time I'm on stage, I will re recreate everything that I just did, except for I'll leave out all the stuff that didn't work. You know, and then while I'm up there doing it the second time, I might think of a different thing and add that to it. So like you, cause usually what happens is I'll have a 30 second idea that will end up becoming the first time I do it five minutes, the second time I do it 12 minutes. And then the third time I do it eight minutes cause stuff has been like chopped, you know? And then until I record something, you know, this is, um, I heard this one time, it might have been Van Gogh that said it, I don't fucking know. It's real pretentious to um, use it with comedy, but I do think it's true, which is that a piece of art is never done, it's just abandoned. You know what I mean? Uh, because like when I recorded my last special, the most 
painful thing in the world was we recorded it, which means like, okay, all these jokes, this is how these jokes finish. This is the, they're being abandoned. I'm never doing them again because they're recorded. And then I thought of a couple tags for it, but it's like, it's pointless. I can't do it anymore. People are going to have seen it recorded. You know what I mean? Um, now, sometimes when I'm writing a bit or when I go, when I have that like initial idea and I go to my phone to like write down the initial idea, sometimes it all just immediately starts pouring out of me. Like it does, it doesn't happen a lot, but when it does, those are like the really great bits. The ones that like, it's almost like they came into my brain fully formed into a bit. Like I can't explain any other way in like, in like 0.2 seconds, I can see the whole bit in my head and all I have to do is copy down what's in my head. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like, like I'm not even really writing it or making it up. It just came to me fully finished and all I have to do is trace it. <laughs> and like, dude, when that happens, I can, because it's rare, but I cannot tell you how fucking exciting that is. And I would say 99.9 .9 times out of 100 that's going to end up being a closing bit. Um, closing bit meaning like a super heightened, holy fuck, this is one of the best things I've ever written. I'm putting this at the end bits. Like it, it and, and it's like, it's all, it, it feels like a cheat code. You know, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even do that. My brain just like sort of went into subconscious overdrive and just did it. And then I was merely the vessel for this like, I don't know, stream of consciousness that was just, vibrating through the air and happen to enter my consciousness instead of somebody else's it's like it could have been anybody whoever you know somebody other comedian happened to be standing in whatever spatial quadrant i was in at that moment it would have went into their brain but it didn't it went into mine and uh and there you go but uh but as far as like sitting down pen to paper i'm not great at that trey that's how trey writes he sits down and writes monologues. And um, it's hard for me to do that with jokes. And I think the reason is, and this is stupid, it's because it's not fun. And uh, I should be like, well, your job's not always supposed to be fun, dude. You know, it's still a job. But I'm like, no, no, not this part of my job, though. Some, some things in life must remain fun for me to be interested in them. And, and this is one of those things. Um, so yeah, a whole lot of free balling going on with my shit, but by the end, when the, you know, when the bit I consider fully formed and done, like it will have gone through a writing process of doing it on stage, tweaking, editing, yada, yada, yada. And then eventually I'll get to the point where I do the joke the exact same way every single time. I know all the bits. I even know the pauses. I know when to take a sip. I know when to, you know, this, uh, so that, thank you, Aria. Okay, my buddy Zach says, favorite book, fiction, and nonfiction. And if you can't pick just one of each, what about your favorite writer? I definitely can pick one of each. My favorite fiction book of all time is Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. It's the quickest I've ever read anything. Um, and, and actually, that book means so much to me because it just happened to come into my life at a transitional period. Um I had this, I had this like life-changing experience at a cabin in North Carolina. Um, the pandemic had been going on, but we were able to get the vaccines or whatever. And so a couple of my friends 
we, we all booked a cabin in North Carolina in the mountains and we were just going to get away. We're like, hey, you know, we need to do something, but we don't need to be around people. So let's rent this big ass cabin and let's go up there and let's just chill. You know, we'll cook every night. We'll just fellowship, have some beers. It'll be fun. And um, I went up there and I'd been drinking my fucking ass off during the pandemic like before and this is before I fight this is this led to me getting my shit together because as a lot of y'all know I ended up losing like 50 pounds during the pandemic you know uh quit drinking so heavily and it was all because of this trip we got up there and for some reason I was like I was such at peace at this cabin the mountains were beautiful there was an outdoor shower so I was able to take a hot shower in the cool mountain breeze while looking at the mountains and a creek and I, I didn't drink a drop on that trip. Like, and I, it wasn't even a conscious decision. I was just like, I don't need it, you know. And being out in nature, like, it, it really, it, something unlocked in me. And my buddy, they were all going to town to a liquor store or something. And to do, and I was like, you know, I don't really feel like it. And my buddy, before he left, he was like, oh, hey, by the way, I brought my copy of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five have you ever read it? And I was like, no, but I've always meant to. And he's like, yeah, here you go. And I sat down on the porch, looking at the mountain, listening to the creek, and I fucking sped read Slaughterhouse Five. And I came to later, and I went on a walk through the, like, the valley of the mountain. And ever since then, that's why I'm in the park right now walking. It unlocked something in me. And now I'm like a 10-mile-a-day dude. I'm not drinking as much. I read a lot more. I started writing a lot more. Like, I, a lot of my substack came from that, like, wanting to do it. And, um, but also, Sorter Half Five is a fucking great book. It's, but it's a fucking great book, but also the experience I had reading it was, like, profound and, like, a feeling I've been chasing for a long time. And I genuinely think, like, was a transformative moment in my life. Like, if it hadn't have been for that trip, I don't know that I'd be talking to y'all right now in this fashion, at least. Like, I became a different person for the better on that trip. Um, I started going to therapy. Like, I don't know, dude, what the fuck it is. Nature's wild, man. Like, so many things that have needed to happen in my life that I had, like, not made any effort at all to change unlocked just by being at this cabin in North Carolina and reading Slaughterhouse-Five. So that's my favorite fiction, for show. My favorite nonfiction, which is kind of ironic, given the, the nature of the book and the title, is uh, I Never Met a Story I Didn't Like by Todd Snyder, Mostly True Tales. Todd Snyder is a singer-songwriter, and uh, it's basically his memoirs told in essay form. Um, and that motherfucker's lived a crazy life. I mean, he used to, he dated Jimmy Buffett's daughter, you know, he got naked with Jerry Jeff Walker. He's done every drug known to man. He, you know, was buddies with John Prine. And it's, I won't give anything away other than like, if you love Todd Snyder, you got to read his book. But also if you just want to hear some like most interesting man in the world type memoirs, get I Never Met a Story I Didn't Like by Todd Snyder. It's so fucking good. Uh, it's the only book I've ever read more than twice. I think I've read it five times because it's just one of those, like it's all essays. So you don't have to read it in order. You can just pick it up 
you know, go, oh, I want to read, reread this again. Um, so that, that's my favorite nonfiction. Um, but I'll say that there's a lot, like, one that I, a lot of nonfiction that I go to a lot is um, David Sedaris. Like, you know, I reread David Sedaris books or at least reread David Sedaris stories uh, all the time. I've got, you know, his entire oeuvre. Um, my favorite of those might be, I think, Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls. Love that. Uh, Calypso is also fucking great. Uh, Engulfed in Flames, wonderful. Uh, I mean, he, he doesn't have a bad one, in my opinion. Also, his, uh, his book of diaries, which the second part just came out, and I actually, I think I, uh, somebody got me a copy. DJ, DJ Lewis bought me a copy of that as soon as it came out, a signed version. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my dude as well. Okay, let's see who's next. Oh, Kim. Kim Casado uh, says, I know you are loving being a dad, and we all love watching you. When do you think you might get to touring again? Would love to see you live out here in California. That's a great question. Um, but, uh, and there's a couple things in my life that are about to happen that I can't really talk about that are good things. Um, but all I can tell you is like, yeah, touring again will happen sooner rather than later. Um, because of those things that are happening in my life that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> um, but I, you know, it's very intentional to not tour right now because I want to be there for my kid and my wife. Um, but also like, you know, since I've been not touring, I would be lying to you if I said I'd, I'd miss the road. I haven't like even a little bit. That's not meaning I haven't missed doing stand-up or missed seeing y'all and meeting the people. It's just like I've really enjoyed being at home. It's been fucking nice. But, you know, again, I've been doing stand-up for 20 goddamn years. So I, I, this is like the first time I've ever really given myself a pure break from doing it. And part of it was weird because it's like my whole identity was doing stand-up. And I didn't really know, I didn't really know who I was without doing stand-up. And it was very scary. Uh, but then I sort of like found out who I was without doing stand-up. And like thankfully, I've been able to be like, oh, you're not, you know, it's you're not uh, a stand-up comedian. You do stand-up. Kind of, like, like that's part of who you are, Corey. But there's so much more about you that is worth exploring and makes you happy. Um and realistically, right now your identity is being a dad, first and foremost. And stand-up is a job. But you don't have to make it be your whole self-worth anymore, which I totally did. I made it my whole self-worth, and which means that if I had a bad show, I hated my life until I was able to do another show that was good that cleansed me of that. And uh, through therapy and also just self-reflection, I realized that counting on a group of strangers to validate you as a person is not a healthy thing to do. Obviously, I want every show to be great, and I'm going to try hard to make every show great, but I've had to accept, it's like, hey, if it, do if it doesn't, it's fine. You know, you did your best, you tried some new shit, it didn't work, but this is not all of who you are. And I've gotten, uh, and that's really excited me, you know, I've been working really hard on the audio dramas and stuff, writing film scripts, and um, 
I've been doing a lot of research into some projects that I'm wanting to do. And, um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like, all right, but you've been doing stand up for 20 years. It is the thing you're the best at. And it's the thing that you can most easily make money at and you have a child. So you're going to have to go back to it. Yeah, I realize that. Um, but that'll be a lot easier for me to do, uh, next year. So I don't know when I'll be into California, but I'll definitely go back on tour again. I promise. Um, but yeah, to say that I've missed it would be a lie. I've just missed all the other things about it, just not the traveling. I love the routine of being at home. It's uh, awesome. Alrighty here. Mamie Cole says, I'm going Ted Lasso on you. First concert, best concert. That's a very simple answer for me. First concert, Collective Soul, best concert, Elton John and Leon Russell, without question. Saw him twice. Uh, Elton John and Leon Russell, that is, and it was a fucking banger. Absolutely amazing. Patty says, I hear that many comedians don't watch other comedians. However, who is your favorite all-time comedian, your favorite current comedian, and any up-and-comers you may like? Um, yeah, it, you know, it's funny, Patty. I, like, I hear that, too, sometimes, but, like, a lot of the, like, there's a whole group of comics that, like, all they do is watch comedy, and that was definitely me when I was younger. I thought you had to. And I definitely think that when you're first starting out in comedy, you fucking 100% should. You should, like, watch special after special after special. And not to, like, obviously not to steal people's material, but just, like, it's like watching game film. You know, it's like if you're a, a quarterback, you should be watching Peyton Manning and Tom Brady film. You should to see how they do it because they're the best of all time. You know what I mean? But no, I haven't watched like a stand-up special in a very long time. And that's only because of what I was mentioning in the last question was like, I'm not doing a lot of stand-up right now and it feels weird to watch it because I'm always afraid like I'm going to watch it and I'm going to get jealous or, you know, that I'm not out there doing it or like, also there is something of like, I don't, I don't like to watch a lot of shit because like somebody might be doing something that's kind of close to a thing that I've been doing. And where it's like, it's not close, it's not, nobody's stealing anything from anybody, but it might discourage me to throw something away, or it might influence my writing or something. And also, there's the whole, like, you know, you can't fucking accidentally lift something if you didn't see it. Because there's so much parallel thinking, like, dude, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of bags of shit who steal jokes, but then there's also a lot of people who, like, think it's way more prevalent. Like, they think that... The second two comedians have a similar bit, clearly there was thievery going on, when in reality it's like, no, it's just that there's only so many things to talk about and there's a billion other comics. Like, we're also, it's like, we're not all that brilliant. We're going to think of the same shit sometimes, you know. Um, my favorite of all time is, is Tim Wilson, uh, who I tell everybody to, you know, go look up because Tim unfortunately passed away. Tim was my idol when I was growing up. The greatest thing that ever happened to me was getting to meet Tim and become friends with him and open up for him before he passed away. Um, if I had to say who's the greatest of all time, you know, it's uh, it's Richard Pryor, probably, because I think that, like, I think that to be one of the greatest of all time you have to not only be funny, but you have to be saying something worthwhile. And Pryor did that. You know, Carlin's up there too, obviously. Um, my favorite current comedian, uh, 
is is I mean, dude, it's it's Bill Burr. <laughs> Bill Burr, like your uh, or Roy Wood Jr. Roy Wood Jr. or Bill Burr, one of those two. I think Bill is probably the greatest of my generation, and one of the reasons I believe that is because Bill has rose to prominence and fame in stand-up, but he hasn't done the thing that a lot of dudes who, when they get famous as a comic, have done in that he's, he hasn't changed. Like, Bill's not, Bill's not doing specials on like, ah, here's how famous I am now. Here's how great of a comedian I am now. I think y'all know who I'm talking about. Here's all the famous people I hang out with, blah, blah, blah. He's still doing his whole Bill Burr thing, and I think he's the best at it. Roy Wood Jr. is the most underrated on the planet and has been for 10, 15 years. And um, I think that if Roy, if a couple things had gone differently or he'd been on a different network or whatever, Roy would be as well-known as Bill Burr. He'd be as well-known as all those people. Um, Roy's just unbelievable and a, and a good buddy. Um, so, yeah, and the up-and-comers that I like... I don't really know, because I mean, if you're talking about up-and-comers, I guess that's people that are in my arena, people that are in my league, um, and like, do you consider Taylor Tomlinson an up-and-comer? She's like, she's got a, she just now got the Late Late Show, so it's almost like, well, she came, she's here, um, you know, like, I don't, like, to me, it's like Sam Morrell and Mark Norman, like, they've already made it, um, so I don't know, uh, yeah, I really don't know. I don't. I don't watch a lot of new stand up, but that's only because. That's not because I don't think stand up is good anymore. That's just because I, like when whenever I have free time to watch something, it's usually me and my wife, and together, and my wife does not like stand up at all. Like even a little bit, she does not like stand up. So we're gonna watch like a murder mystery or something like that. You know what I mean? Okay, Ben wants to know what my favorite Spider-Man is. I'm assuming here that you mean the actor who portrayed Spider-Man. If not, I'll also give you my favorite Spider-Man movie, which I guess it has to be Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire one, because that's what I grew up on, and it's such a fucking banger, and it holds up very well. Um, and on that note, yeah, Tobey Maguire is my favorite Spider-Man. I, I don't think he's the best, though. I think Tom Holland's the best. I think Tom Holland's, like, by far the best. It's just hard to shake <clears throat> the nostalgia of Tobey Maguire for me. Like, that's my guy, you know. Um, which is why I loved Spider-Man uh, uh, No Way Home or... or across, God damn it. Y'all know the one where Tobey and Andrew and Tom were all in it? That latest one. I love that because I got to see Tobey Maguire again. Um, and I really hope that they do a Spider-Man 4. God damn it. With, with him, starring him. That would be so awesome. Uh, but I've there's never been a Spider-Man movie that I've completely disliked. You know, like, I know that, like, oh, the Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, it's like, eh, they were fine. They were fine, but I still liked them because I fucking love Spider-Man. He's my second favorite comic book hero of all time, second only to Batman. And sometimes I like him more, you know, but I don't like to get into that. It's just really what I'm in the mood for. If I'm in the mood for more hopeful shit or more dark shit, that's who my favorite is at that time. Um, but, you know, dude, even Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, I still loved it because it's Tobey Maguire. I love him, you know. They did Venom dirty, <laughs> you know, for sure. But, uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, 
it's Toby, baby. And the, my favorite Spider-Man movie is Amazing Spider-Man, or not Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire version. Okay, last but not least, Laura says, are you a reader? If yes, is it real books or Kindle slash iPad or maybe Audible? Do you read fiction or nonfiction, biographies or just all kind of stuff? If I remember correctly, you enjoyed buying books from flea markets and such. You are correct, Laura, I do. Um, and uh, I enjoy books on all of those versions. Like, I have a Kindle. I watch or read them on my iPad. I also do Audible. Uh, some people say that, like, oh, if you listen to Audible, you're not actually reading the book. Okay, semantics. Um, but I'll tell you this, because of Audible, I'm able to consume so many more books a year than I otherwise would because I drive a lot um, and I walk a lot. So, you know, if I walk two hours a day and then you got five, two, four, six, eight, ten, that's ten, ten hours of walk in a week, right? Which is sometimes more. Well, a lot of the books that I listen to on Audible are ten hour books, so I can knock out a book every week, you know, if I'm listening to it, where if I was just reading it, I've only got such a limited amount of time every week where I can sit down and actually read a thing. Uh, so Audible might, is probably my number one fuck with. But then I do, I read books on my phone uh, at night. And for my whole life, like, it, well, when I was a kid, it was obviously fiction. Because, like, dude, when you're a kid, the thought of reading nonfiction, I mean, that's fucking homework. What are you talking about? Um, but my adult life has always been nonfiction, and in my brain it was always because I was like, well, I'm reading, which means I must be learning something. You know what I mean? And I've had a big chip on my shoulder my whole life about the fact that I didn't go to college. Um, I don't as much anymore, but like, I've always been really self-conscious about it, thinking that, you know, I don't know anything or I'm stupid or that people, you know, they think that of me. And so like, I've always been like, that's always encouraged me to like, try to now as an adult, try to outpace everybody and be like, oh yeah, you, you learned all this shit in college, but then you gave you stopped. And so I'm going to lap you. Like, it's tortoise in the hair, baby. You think you finished the race, but I'm, st I'm still learning, you know. And so I've read a lot of nonfiction. I still mainly do, but I have started introducing more fiction uh, and really getting into it. I've, I've read a lot more Stephen King in the past year. Um, I've read all the Harry Potter books now, which I fucking loved. Goddamn, I loved them. Um, I'm reading The Great Gatsby right now. I uh, just read Catch-22. I uh, just read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Prince and the Pauper, uh, a, a lot, you know, a lot of the Twain stuff. Uh, the Importance of Being Earnest, Oscar Wilde, uh, Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde. I've read a shit ton of Shakespeare, and that's not me trying to sound smart or up my own butt. That's like purely for putting on airs, you know, material and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I love reading, and I do get... I go to flea markets looking for first editions and stuff. So far, the only one I have of any worth or note, I have a first edition of The Shining, uh, which is fucking crazy. It's and it's beautiful too. Uh, that I, I have my sights on. It's a first. It's a first American edition of Prince and the Pauper. It actually originally was published in Canada, but the first the first American edition of Prince and the Pauper. It's at this flea market that. N 
that uh, it's been there for a long time and nobody has bought it. And I just can't justify spending the money on it right now because I have a kid. But it's one of those where I like, every time I go in there, I'm like, if it's here, I'm getting it. Uh, but yeah, I'm super into that shit. Uh, but I get a lot of my books from McKay's, the, um, the, uh, the secondhand bookstore. And I'll be honest with you, I do straight up judge book by their cover sometimes. Like I go in there and I'm like... If I walk past a book that looks like, oh, that might be something I want to research for putting on airs, I just buy it without even questioning it. Sometimes they're like 10 cents. I'm like, well, fuck, I can't afford not to do this. Um, so, yeah, books and the whole book culture and writing, like, I'm just so into it. I've always been into it since I was a kid. Like, I in fourth grade, was it fourth or second or fourth grade? One of those two. I won the, <coughs> I won the Young Authors Award for all of Walker County, I wrote a, a short, a short novel science fiction thing, and uh, about aliens, and and I always just knew I was like I want to be a writer. But then it was like comedy came, and it sort of like took over. And then when we got our book deal in 2016, I was like, holy shit, I could do that again. I thought it was like you had to pick one or, I thought you had to pick one or the other, you know. And that's what, because that's that's what you get told in entertainment. It's like, well, you're a comedian now. You comede. You must comede. And I've been fighting against that ever since we got the book deal. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to do more than that. And uh, that's why the Substack's so important to me because y'all let me wear many hats and contain multitudes. And I really appreciate that um, because I I like doing different things. You know, obviously, I think I'm a better stand-up comedian than I am a writer, but I would like to change that. So, anyways, hey, this has been Ask Corey Anything. Uh, my head hurts, my feet stink, and I don't love Jesus. Quoting Jimmy Buffett there, uh, rest in peace. I need to go get working on the next thing for this substack. I'm trying I'm trying to get my creative juices back. I've just got such brain fog, y'all. But thank y'all for being patient with me. I hope y'all are feeling good and don't have this funk that's going around. And I hope you enjoyed this Ask Corey Anything. Thank you for all the wonderful questions that, again, came on the Substack app. I appreciate it. I love y'all. Sorry for sniffing and snotting. <laughs> love you. Bye.